Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right into it. Father God, we love you, and we just thank you for this time, this opportunity that we have to, to dig into your word, Father, and learn more about you and what you have for us and, and what you desire for us. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us during this time. I pray that, it, that you will reveal new things to each and every one of my brothers and sisters, Father. I pray that it will be your words that, that are heard and not mine, Father, that I will fade to the background, Lord, and just be with us, Lord, and just, just open up our minds and our hearts so we can hear something fresh from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Hebrews 6, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end it is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and, and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, that steadfast, excuse me, and which enters the presence beyond the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Amen. All right. We got a whole lot to unpack. So <clears throat> in chapter five, um, the writer uh, rebuked um, his readers for their spiritual immaturity. You know, but but he also knew that nothing was going to be gained by, you know, just treating them as immature Christians. 
So, but he he continues with with some warnings and some instructions um, concerning that. He talks about elementary principles, and this has the idea of like the basics, you know, the the ABCs, if you will, of of our faith of Christianity, and these are the basic building blocks that are necessary, but must be built upon. Otherwise, you know, if you have a foundation but no structure, what's the point, right? If you have a house, you know, and, and you, you lay a foundation and walk away, well, what's the point of the foundation? You got to build on it, you know, build a structure, you know. So and it says, you know, uh, uh, principles, is going beyond the principles, the, the, the elementary, you know, let's go on to perfection, right? Perfection is the ancient Greek word, uh, te, teletos, but it's, it's better understood as maturity, Okay, God is not expecting us to be perfect, but he is expecting us to mature. Okay, don't be content with just learning the basics and just and, and just being step, you know, where you're at. No, there needs to be growth. You need to be moving forward, brothers and sisters, not staying where you're at. Okay, because if you stay where you're at, you will become frustrated and you will walk away from the faith. Okay, there are so many examples of people who they come to a church, even come to Fusion Church, and they get all fired up. They're all, oh man, you know, salvation and this and that I'm doing. And then, but then they they become stagnant because they, you know, for one reason or another, they don't want to progress in their faith. Okay. They want to stay at the elementary principles. They want to stay at the basics. Okay. They're, 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 They're afraid of getting deeper into the word and 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 fully committing and fully submitting themselves to the lord right the writer the, the writer of hebrews did not say that we cannot reach that it, we can't reach perfection here on earth but it's something to strive for right because one day we're going to be in heaven and we're going to have our perfect bodies and all and all this but for right now we need to strive for it all right the 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 these elementary principles that he talks about, um, he, he talks about repentance and faith and he talks about baptism and laying on of hands. And he talks about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And many people have have uh, regarded this as, as biblical, a biblical list of, of important principles that for the Christian life. And, and they are important. There are important things we should, we should know. And Bible studies and, and the, the discipleship series have been developed around these principles. You know, with the thought that this was a good list, you know, of basic doctrines, but that wasn't the writer's point in, in, in writing that. To under, understand this list, we know we also need to ask ourselves a few basic questions, like, what's distinctively Christian about this list? Where is the specific mention of Jesus and uh, or, or salvation by grace? Could one believe in or practice these things and still not be a follower of Jesus? Or not, or, or believe in him, but not believe that he's the Messiah. See, because when we're talking about the foundation, uh, Christianity um, did grow out of Judaism, right? The first Christians were Jews, you know, and, and it was a more um, subtle temptation for 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 a Jewish Christian to slip back into Judaism than it would be for a family of pagans of you know Gentiles to slip back into their old ways. And part of the problem facing the Hebrews was the, was the superficial um, similarity between 
the foundational tenets of Christianity and Judaism. This made it possible, again, for, 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 for Christian Jews to think that they could have both. They can kind of do both. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to keep some of my old um, Jewish ways, my Jewish customs. See, these Jewish Christians, they didn't want to abandon religion, but they did want to make it less Christian. They wanted to be Christian, but they want to have they wanted to keep the familiar familiarity of of Judaism. So they went so you know th therefore they they went back to the, to the to their religion to avoid persecution because the early church they were being persecuted by the Jews as well as the Romans. You know, so it's like okay, well, if I just slip back into my Jewish faith, I'll avoid persecution a little bit. You know. And, and so they so they were living in like this middle ground, you know that that, that they should not have been living in. Uh, a Jew and a Christian could say, you know, they they could let's repent, let's have faith, you know, let's let's perform all the ceremonial rituals and and, and all this the customs. But doing this was a a very slight, uh, a subliminal denial of Jesus. And this is this is very characteristic of of those who feel discouraged and want to give up in their faith. See, there's always a, a, a temptation to still be religious and not be so fanatical and so on fire for Jesus. But if we go back and we build on the foundation of our faith and we continue to grow, 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 we won't have a need to go back to anything else. We're going to want to stay with Jesus. See, these, these young Jewish Christians, they, they were afraid to mature in their faith. And since, they and since they wouldn't mature in their faith, they were going to stay right where they were at. You know, this, this, this Christian faith, this Jesus, I believe in him, but there's, oh man, there's, there's, there's too much that I don't understand, but I understand Judaism. I was raised a Jew. I was raised sacrificing in the temple. I was raised with all the customs and all this stuff. This makes sense to me. Listen, brothers and sisters, not everything about Jesus is always going to make sense to us. And that's where faith comes in. Because let me tell you, I, if we served a God that I could fully understand, I could fully comprehend, everything completely made sense, why are we worshiping him? Because if I can comprehend every single aspect of God, I might as well be God, right? I would rather serve a God and submit to a God who's greater than me, who I don't have an understanding, but I have faith that he's always there. I have faith that he has my well-being in mind at all time. I have faith that he's going to go before me. He's going to fight my enemies. He's going to he bring healing to my, to my family. Come on, guys. That's the kind of God that I want to serve. Verse three, it says, um, and this we will do if God permits. Okay, so this, this should not be, be, be taken as implying that God may not want them to go on to maturity. You know, it's not saying, well, if God wants us to mature, then, then we'll do it. You know, you know, because past those basic those those basics are common to to, to to Christianity and Judaism. God may want us to do this. Instead, this 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 phrase expresses the believer's complete dependence on God. 
If we do press on to maturity, we realize that it only happens at God's pleasure. God wants us to mature in him. God wants to reveal new things to us. Come on. He wants us, right? But he is not going to force himself upon anybody. But God, he gave us his word. And he speaks to us daily. If we listen, brothers and sisters, if we get into the practice of of meditating on the scriptures and and being before the throne, worshiping him and praying to him and make it a, a daily habit, you will mature. You will get beyond the basics of our faith. And then your faith will not be shaken. See, this is a this is a very difficult passage for some people, and and there's a great tempta- temptation to to shape any difficult passage like, passage like this into what we think it should say, according to whatever theology or theological system that that we adhere to. Yet we must first be concerned with understanding what the text says before we con- we're concerned with fitting it into our narrative. See, systems of the of, of theology they have they have value. Right there's value in, in, in having a particular theology because they they show that biblical ideas are connected and show that the Bible does not contradict itself. But the way to uh, write theological systems begins with right understanding of the text, not the one that bends the text to fit the system. The word comes first. The word comes first. Anything you th- any theology that you think comes later. That's secondary, but the word comes first. It says in verse four, um, who were once enlightened, have tested the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. The writers of Hebrews speaks of people with impressive spiritual experiences. The big debate is whether this is the experience of salvation or something just short of salvation. Like, what are they talking about? See, looking at each description, at each word that's 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 referenced here, helps us see what kind of experience it's describing. It talks about enlightened. The Greek word is the same meaning as the English word for for enlightened. You know, it describes the experience of light shining on someone, a new light shining. A new light of the mind, a new, a new light of the spirit. Talks about tasted. This tasted may also mean to test something. Other uses of this word indicate a full, real experience, as in how it says in, in Hebrews 2 9 that Jesus tasted death. He tested death. And the heavenly gift it talks about is probably salvation. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. This is a, a, a term. That's unique to the New Testament. And it is a shining. The Holy Spirit is, has to do with receiving and having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 5, tasted the good word of God. This means they experienced the goodness of God's word. The powers of the age to come is, is the way to, to, to describe God's supernatural power. And it says in verse six, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Okay, so so one of the, the most heated debates over any New Testament passage is focused on this text. And the, and the question is simple. Are these people with these impressive spiritual experience, in fact, Christians? Are they really Christians? Are they God's elect chosen before the foundation of the world? And commentators and theologians, they continue to debate 
this issue. See, on one side, you know, we can clearly see that that someone can have great spiritual experiences and still not be saved, right? That's a fact. And we know it's a fact because Jesus said it himself. In Matthew 7, beginning with verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's probably the scariest verse in the entire Bible, that passage. I've done this for you. I've done this for you. And Jesus says, I still, I don't know you. Why? Because you still weren't living right. You still weren't doing things the right way. God can, you can have spiritual experiences. Working on, you know, in ministry and especially being on the altar team. Those of you guys on the altar team, you know, sometimes you pray for people. And they have amazing experiences with God and the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is thick in the place, right? And they are broken. Doug, you know what I'm talking about. They are broken and the Lord's working on them. And a week later, you don't even see them. And they're back to their junk, back to all. So they had, you know, back to their, back to their, you know, their, their sin and the way they're living and all this. And it's like, they had a spiritual experience. No doubt. The Holy Spirit was working on them without question. And there's even people in ministry who are doing things, right? And they've had a spiritual experience, right? But maybe their heart isn't completely right. It's real easy to have a, a mental knowledge of the word of God, but not have a heart knowledge of the, with the word of God, not have a true, genuine relationship with the word of God. And those type of people, in the end, Jesus himself will say, depart from me. I never knew you. How scary is that? Because I don't know about you, but when I read a verse like that, it wants to make me do a heart check. It makes me want to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. I'm living right. I am focused on the right things. See, many, someone could have many religious things and, and still not be saved. The Pharisees in the New Testament are, are a good example of this principle. These men did many religious things, but were not saved, and they weren't really submitted to God. Because by the time of Jesus' day in the New Testament, you know, the, 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 the priesthood, even the high priesthood, you know, they may have been sons of Aaron still, but becoming the priest and becoming a high priest was now more of a political position. Not what was ever intended. And so they would, you know, very, very similar to, to you know, uh, I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to step on some toes. You know, when, when it's time for a new pope and the and there's all the, you know, the political this and, you know, and all this negotiating and all this, who's going to be the pope instead of, you know, let God pick the pope, right? If you really believe in God, right? But what, I'm, let me stop. I mean, let me not go there. Um, you know, Bob, I'm not trying to get into no trouble. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to keep my job, you know, so let me, let me move on. So the Pharisee, that's right. So the Pharisees, you know, they were doing things the wrong way. They they evangelized. They 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 prayed impressively in the temple or in the synagogue. They they made religious commitments and they 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 strictly 
tithed all of their their their, their giving they they honored religious traditions and all the, the the laws of Moses they were faithful faithful to the to the law of Moses and they fasted regularly yet Jesus in Matthew 23 called them sons of hell that's a mind bender but when you think about it it's really really simple these men, they were doing all of the things they were supposed to do, right? They were, they were called to do, the law said to do, yet they were sons of hell. Why? Because they did not have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. They had a genuine relationship with the law of Moses. And they put all their chips on the law of Moses, so much so that they failed to see the Messiah standing right in front of them right in front of their face because they were so caught up in all the things they were supposed to be doing. So from a human perspective, it's doubtful that that anyone who seems to do the right things, you know, that I just mentioned would would not be regarded as a Christian, right? You would think, but God knows that they're, what their ultimate destiny is. God knows their heart. So taking all this together, you know, it, 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 we see that it's possible to display some fruit of spiritual growth, but then you end up dying spiritually, showing that that the soil of the heart was never right. The seeds were planted, but they allowed stuff to get into the soil, and it twisted how they perceived who Jesus Christ was. So their their, their eternal standing that's you know uh, of those who are written about here is is a question with two answers. We we can safely say that. From a human perspective, they had the appearance of salvation. However, from the perspective of God and in his perfect wisdom, it's impossible to say right here whether or not they're saved, you know, because it's not my job to determine who's saved and who's not, right? That's that's up to God, you know? And, you know, people say we can't, you know, we can't judge, you know, you know, only God can judge me, which is a bold-faced lie. You know, that's something that we've twisted. You know, because as as a fellow bro- brothers and sisters, when you see a brother and sister messing up, you are called to judge. You were called to, 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 to call it out. We are called to be fruit inspectors. The word says you will know them by their fruit. But if they got some rotten fruit, you can judge that and call it out. So if you see someone, someone in your circle that, you know, on Sunday morning, they're wearing their, their, their best and brightest, and they have the complete appearance of this pious person, but you know what's going on in their life. You know they're not right. You know they're putting on a show. It is your obligation as a fellow brother or sister in Christ to call them out in love, in love, okay? Don't just be like, man, Frank, you screwing up, man. Get your stuff together. No, you said, hey, brother, man, I'm seeing you're going through some stuff. How can I pray with you? How can I journey with you? And that will go so much further. It says that they fall away to renew them to, to again to repentance. Despite their impressive spiritual experience, or, or at least the appearance of it, these people are in grave danger. And if they fall away, it's going to be impossible for them to repent. If these are genuine Christians who lost their salvation, the terrible fact is that they may never regain it. 
Some groups in the early church, they use this passage to teach that there was no possibility of restoration in someone who sinned significantly. And others explain it by saying that this was merely a, a hypothetical warning. But in this thinking, the writer of Hebrews never, never intended to say that his readers were really in danger of damnation. He only used a, a hypothetical danger to motivate them, but, but that there's questionable value in that, on threatening with hypotheticals. You know, Bible doesn't threat with hypotheticals. If you, This may happen if you do this. If you commit a sin, you might be damned. No, it says if you do, then this will, period. Again, this is a very difficult passage to understand. The writer of Hebrews mean, you know, if they retreat, really, he's talking about um, for these early Christians, if they retreat back to Judaism, all the religious repentance in the world will do them no good. Retreating from Christianity into the safe ideas, the safe customs of, of our former religious experiences is to forsake Jesus. You may have come from a different religion. You may have come from a different faith. You may come from, from Catholicism or, or Islam or, or any, any myriad of religions. And you might find safety in that because that's what you're used to. Because, again, this Christianity thing is not easy. It is not always easy. And you may feel safer going back to that. But when you're going back to that, what you're really doing is forsaking Jesus. You're forsaking Jesus and you're essentially, you're crucifying him again. This was, and, and I say that because it was especially true for these ancient Christians, but from Jewish background, because since some of the customs they would go back to likely was, was animal sacrifice. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice, but in them being safe, they would probably go back to that type of thing. But by doing that, they're denying the total work of Jesus that he did on the cross. They are completely forsaking the word of Jesus and what he did. Moving on, we're about to, get, about to close. I'm going to go all the way to verse 18. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff. It says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Two immutable things. Immutable, immutable means unchanging. Now, these things are God's word and God's oath. Right, because it says or earlier, it says you know God made an oath. He can't. God's not going to swear to himself. You know, he he has nothing higher to swear to, so he's going to swear to himself. He's going to make an oath to himself. So it's impossible for God to lie in either his promises or in the oaths that he's made. The strong consolation, um, God isn't content to give us consolation. Right, He wants to give us a strong consolation. Strong consolation doesn't depend on, on how healthy we are. Strong consolation does not depend on, on the, the, the excitement of our church services and you know the excitement of our church, of our, of our, of our Christian fellowship. And strong consolation can't be um, um, shaken by, Christ, by a, a human you know, reasoning. Strong consolation is stronger than any of our guilty conscience that we may have for what we do. Strong consolation is, is what God promises to us. 
And this is, and it says, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This is another reason for encouragement, knowing that God has a refuge of hope set before us. And we can think of this um, as the city of refuges, uh, cities of refuge that you know Moses established in the Old Testament. And in Numbers 35, he, he establishes these cities, and we're going to read about that eventually when we get into the book of Numbers. But what these cities of refuge were, were intended for was, you know, people who committed a sin or were accused of committing a sin. They could, they could flee to these cities of refuge, right? You know, whether they were innocent, whether they were guilty, and they can go there to await trial and nothing could happen. You know, no one could take it. There was no, no vigilante, you know, justice over there. You know, God was very, very specific. Like you go to these cities and you're safe until it's time for you to go before the judges, before the elders and whoever is going to look at, you know, look at the case. And then also if let's say someone was found innocent or they were innocent from the beginning with, and from the beginning, but if they were found innocent, you know, they could have free passage back there because people are still people. Just like now, back in the day, people were still people and they may not want to hear that the, the verdict of the judges, you know, like, nah, man, that dude, he, he, he committed that murder. I'm going to get him. They could still have, they could find refuge in the cities of refuge. But brothers and sisters, right now we have refuge here where we're sitting, whether it's in your living room, your bedroom, your kitchen, you're at work, you're in the car, you have refuge right now. You see both Jesus and the cities of refuge were with an easy reach if we're in need. Both are open to all, not just the Israelites. We have refuge in Jesus. Both are, are places that we can live and we can stay in the refuge of Jesus. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for the one in need. Because without his refuge, destruction is certain. Without the refuge of Jesus, Jesus, death is certain. However, there, there's a crucial distinction between Jesus and these cities. See, the cities of refuge only help the innocent. If you were guilty of your crime, eventually you're going to get kicked out of the city of refuge and go to your trial and go to whatever punishment you, you, you're supposed to get. So the cities of refuge were only really for the innocent, but the guilty the guilty can freely come to Jesus, can freely come to Jesus. And what does Jesus do when you come to him with a humble heart, with a repentant heart? He, he welcomes you in with open arms and he brings you into his loving embrace. And then we know we have the assurance of who he is. But brothers and sisters, and I'm going to end with this. If you're, if all you have is a basic understanding, a basic foundation of who Jesus Christ is, what this word of God is, you won't even know that I can go to Jesus with all my, all my problems, all my issues, all my sins. You're going to be content to stick, stay where you're at. Go back to whatever religion you came from, whatever, wherever your comfort zone is. You're going to want to do that. But when, if you build on that foundation, you go beyond the elementary principles that the writer of Hebrews was talking about. 
and you get deeper and deeper into his word and get closer and closer to Jesus Christ and you build that relationship, going to him as your refuge will be second nature. It'll be second nature. And you'll know of true forgiveness if you're able to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you. We just thank you, Father, that we can have the assurance, Lord, from your word that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, Father. All we have to do is come to you and you will welcome us in. Come to you with a, with a humble heart, a contrite spirit, Lord, repentant for our sins, Lord, and you will welcome us in. You are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, Lord. So thank you for that. Thank you for that promise, Father. I pray for all of my brothers and sisters on this call, Lord God, everyone listening to the podcast or on the blog later on today, Lord, that they will move beyond the elementary principles, that they will move beyond just the milk of your word, Lord, and they would, they would, they would take a bite into the meat of what you want to reveal to them, Father, so that they can fully commit and they could they could fully do the work that you have established for each and every one of us, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Bless everyone on this call, everyone listening later, Lord. Keep them, guide them, Father. And we just thank you for all that you were doing. In the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, guys. Love y'all. This is a good one. And um, I'll see you guys soon. God bless.